Hello and welcome back to the Elite Football Show. As you can see, we have got the new branding. We are now the Elite Football Show. The at handle is at EFS underscore media. And it's only fair that we're called the Elite Football Show if we bring elite guests. So my guest today, Rob Blanchett, is obviously an elite guest. He's a great guy. He's been on a few times now. I always enjoy talking Manchester United with you, Rob. So, Rob, it's Monday afternoon. How are you feeling today? And how are you feeling after seeing, well, Wolves and Man City have awful, awful performances. And actually, it kind of brings a bit of perspective, doesn't it, to May United's performance that we saw on Saturday? Yeah, I think I've been like, a bit like a parrot this weekend, repeating the same thing over and over again to people. And that is that if you do not have a, a correct pre-season, you don't actually have the flow and structure to it, it will show up in your results. It will show up in your performances. We've seen this the whole of yesterday. Manchester City conceding five goals. Bayern Munich conceded four goals. Wolverhampton Wanderers, one of the toughest teams that you could play in the Premier League, conceding four goals against a bad West Ham team. So I don't feel bad about the Manchester United performances that we've seen. I know fans do and they get upset by these things. But it was fully expected going back weeks before, even at the end of the Europa League, we were kind of predicting that United would have a, a tough first even 10 games because they just don't have the pre-season in their legs. Yeah, absolutely. I was definitely one of those that was... I wasn't upset. I think I was just more disappointed in how we did set up against Brighton. I think when you look at the team, it probably was our strongest side, I would say. But what I was disappointed was is it just felt like there was 11 strangers you know, on the pitch. And I think that's something which, whether you're match fit or not, we shouldn't have looked that poor, I don't think. And I think at times we're still maybe relying on that individual brilliance that we saw from Rashford. I mean, that goal was on another level. And when you look at that sort of goal, if it was Messi or Ronaldo, you've been hearing so much more about it. Great composure, sat Ben White down twice. But again, for me, it's it's that reliance perhaps on penalties and also the reliance on that individual brilliance. And would you would you argue that even though we were lack, lacking fitness, we were still, we weren't good enough? Uh, I, I would argue it in the sense that if you do not have your full fitness, you cannot be at your full potential. So players start to look like strangers because they just simply don't have the capacity to perform. And that's where we are with Manchester United. And I think if you take that as your base level and think about where all these teams are, especially the ones who are in Europe, in the Champions League and Europa League, they're all going to show the same signs of issues. Now, as I also said, uh, I think the day before yesterday, I said, if you play well at the start of the season when you've had all these things, it doesn't actually mean anything either. That doesn't mean that you're a better team or not. It just means that you handled that situation better on that day and your opponent couldn't take advantage. If you play a team that takes advantage of you, like, say, Crystal Palace, who will run you and run you and run you because they know you're not fit, you might lose. So I think United fans have to have a dose of reality there and kind of look at the record as a wider, a, a wider sphere. Manchester United have lost once in 15 Premier League games now in the last 15. And they still had the best record after January in the Premier League, better than City and better than Liverpool. These are the things I think fans need to hold on to rather than the microisms of one or two performances. Yeah, very fair points. I think people forget, and this is something that I've been, the drum I've been banging probably what last couple of months is that I do think when United's first 11 is playing at the top of its game, top of its ability. I think it can beat anyone in the league. I really do believe that. The frustration obviously comes when you have two games a week for a prolonged period. The depth has to be called into question. And 
as we've seen many, many times, Rob, I don't even need to repeat myself because I'm like a, a broken record, but we just know there's just not enough quality on that bench. But I think one thing I do want to ask you is that having looked at City yesterday, absolutely shocking, to be honest, so open at the back. And having a look at, obviously, the way that Chelsea have been playing, the way that probably Liverpool looking the standout ones, United have a real opportunity, don't they, here to actually, if they get the right players in, they can really kick on and push for that top two. I honestly believe that when this squad yeah. and this team starts getting into their groove, it can it can put in a prolonged period of good football and good results. But this, is, this feels like, I don't know, maybe it's just me being reactionary, but I feel like this is such an important moment for United where if we can get, Sancho, Tellez, perhaps another one. We can talk about Sancho and Tellez after. That United can really, really push on and be that team that's challenging Liverpool because I'm not going to say City aren't because they will be there and they're about to the end of the season. But with that defence, they're not winning anything. Yeah, look, transfers are important. And there's no, I think, kind of sensible Manchester United fan who would say that United do not need to strengthen. They absolutely need to strengthen in this window. So, you know, we will talk about the players who, who they could bring in later on. But I think overall, when you look at it, you know, Manchester City lost 5-2 yesterday. Does that make Manchester City a bad team? No. You know, Wolves lost 4-0. Are they a bad team? No. Are Bayern Munich, the champions of Europe, who won 8-0 in the first week and lost 4-1 in the second week, are they a bad team? No. And it's the same for Manchester United. They're not a bad team. They're a team that needs to strengthen. They're a team that should challenge in the top four this season. But as someone said to me as well yesterday, they went, you know, do you think United are closer to Liverpool and City? And I think, again, you've got to put those thoughts away at the moment and you've just got to focus on what's in front of you. And for United, that's now getting the fitness back. That's the first challenge, getting into a run of games where they feel comfortable on the pitch again. There are individuals that need work at United. We can talk about your Victor Lindelof until you're blue in the face and mistakes and issues and lack of pace and one thing or another. And there are all things that Ole needs to solve but I, I, I don't think there's too much doom and gloom actually around the football club itself. The doom and gloom comes from maybe from social media and reactionary comment. And obviously people, you know, United win a game 3-2 in the most dramatic fashion and United fans are crying about it and saying they don't like it. So that's a bit strange. Yes, we'd like better performances, but I don't really think those emotions kind of connect, connect with reality. And the reality is that Man United are in the same place a lot of teams are. Yeah, spot on. Something I want to pick up on is when you mentioned about obviously United fans crying about about a last minute last minute winner in that fashion. I was absolutely buzzing, mate. I celebrated that, and I'll celebrate every single last minute goal as if it's if it's the last one I'll ever celebrate. Because why? Because I love football. I love United, and nothing beats a last gasp win. Last gasp win. Do I think we were good enough? Absolutely not. Should you have lost that? Yeah, I would say so. And we'll talk about sort of the defensive problems because I want to ask you about. You know, I've seen a couple of your tweets and I agree with how, you know, how Wan-Bissaka's positioning was very poor throughout the game. But what I will say is that there is a section of United's fan base who almost want United to lose so that they can turn around and say, oh, well, Oli's not good enough. Oli needs to go. Or they do want to or they do want to downgrade the fact people were celebrating that last uh, last minute winner saying, look at look at these fans. Look how far we've fallen. You're celebrating a last minute winner against Brighton. And, and it's these sort of divisions in the fan base that are, that are just causing so many issues for me. I just think that when you're looking at United's fan base, especially right now, we know what the sort of the problem is. It's not really the manager. Whether you think Oli's good enough or not, we'll talk about tactics in a minute. Uh, that's out of the question. We know the issues that come from above, but why are there sections of the fan base that are like this? I mean, is it is it purely for clout? Is it because agendas? Because they want Mourinho? I mean, what's your reading of that situation? 
Yeah, it's a bit of everything. I think when it comes to social media, it's about popularity and it becomes a game of populism and about am I right or am I wrong? And that's a that's a toxic thing in the first place in any walk of life where we look at it being in society and you can talk about things like Brexit and being a Remainer or a Ramona or whatever you want to call them. And then you can kind of connect it with football and join the dots. I think with Man United fans, you know, as I said as well yesterday, when Manchester United won the treble in 1999, they robbed Bayern Munich in the final. And it was a robbery. We scored two goals in the last minute. Did any Man United fan go, oh, no, that was terrible. We scored two in the last minute and Bayern Munich hit the crossbar five times? No, they didn't because that's not what it's about. It's about winning, isn't it? So it's about finding a way. And I think with United fans, there is this kind of inbuilt toxicity now that, that we see in football. And United fans tend to subscribe to it more. Why is that? Because the football club isn't as successful as it was. It's not as uh, as good as team as it was. We know all of these things. And football itself is cyclical. So you have periods of success and periods of failure. Go and ask a Liverpool fan. You know, so at the end of the day, I think these fans will be what they are. I don't think they'll ever be happy with Ole. Ole could win the league. They'd still be unhappy about something. And you have to kind of, as, as a kind of, Normal Manchester United fan, I don't really, I don't really know how to sell that. If you're a normal United fan, I think you can step back and look at the facts and say, yes, Brighton were a better team maybe on that day, as Palace were. United got away with one, but who cares? It's about the next game now and finding your fitness and keep going and keep moving. And as I said about Ole, you know, if he's looking at his own record and he's lost one in fifteen in the Premier League and had the highest points total out of any football club from January onwards in the Premier League. I don't think he's going to be doing a lot of soul-searching and looking at himself and saying what's wrong with me or my football team. I think he'll be just trying to move forward. Yeah, fantastic points. For me, I've seen so many people. I've just refrained from messaging because there's no point. It's, you know, speaking to someone who is not going to change their view is, is just as frustrating, isn't it? So I just leave it. But what I will say is that there's too many sections. I mean, I'm one of them, for example, who actually changed his mind on Ollie. If you look at the way he was December, the end of last year, I'm not going to blindly follow someone that was that was not really, I didn't really see a path. I didn't see a, a process or any project there. But, you know, as we went along, we brought in Bruno and things turned around. Yeah, I, I can happily get behind it. What I just can't take is when people can't give their dues when it's you know when it's due can't praise him it's always waiting for, to pounce on him when he goes down and when you've got a fan base that are doing that and you're starting to see that a bit with Chelsea with Lampard as well I think it's difficult when you've got a, a legend in charge because there are certain factions that will blindly follow won't they but then there are others who just just don't think he should be in charge and unfortunately that's what's for me that's what's creating toxicity I don't know if that's the same for you do you think it's that or do you think it's the transfers I think it's just society. I think that's where we live today. You know, football is, I always say football is a mirror of society and a reflection of society. So that's where we stand in terms of how opinion is based now. I think throughout, throughout our society, especially in the West, and that's how it is. And people want their opinion. And if you're, if you don't subscribe to their opinion, then they'll hate you or they won't like you. And then that creates conflict and then conflict gets hits on social media and people turn it into a cottage industry. So for me as a journalist, List. I'm, uh, you know, I'm a professional football journalist. I don't subscribe to any of that. I'm not interested in it. I'm not interested in banter. I'm not interested in someone believing my point or not believing my point. I can only say what I think. And if people agree with me, then great. 
but they don't and it, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. And I think with football fans, like you said there about Frank Lampard, you know, again, does Frank Lampard sit there and think my team considered three goals? Oh, what's someone tweeting about me? Not really. You know, their lives, their professional, their professionalism is all in built. They've been doing it for years. Uh, they don't really care about those things. Of course, you've got to take your opportunity, but I think Chelsea, a good example there, you know, they've spent plenty on players over the over the transfer window and they were 3-0 down after 27 minutes against a very average West Brom team. So it happens and you have to take it on the chin and you have to analyse it and you have to work through it and you have to kind of close the noise off and actually kind of put, you know, hands over your ears and say, I'm not listening. And we have to do it as journalists as well. You know, when we put our opinion across, we can't listen too much to, to responses because... Ultimately, some people will really like what you say and then there's the other half that doesn't and they're entitled to their opinion. That's how it is. And, and social media gives them that platform. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do feel sorry for journalists because or any big account. I mean, I'm not a, a big account, but, you know, I, I've started getting a few things here and there. I got called, called a douche the other day, which was interesting for saying Ollie needs more time. And then, uh, that's that's obviously on the, the tamer scale. There are a lot of people, but that's what the block button's for. But no, I do feel sorry because... When you look at obviously journalists put their opinions out on transfers or what they've been told from their sources, there are a lot of people that will that will doubt that they'll have this tiering system. So I think it's it's very unfair. But let's move on to the tactics because I think there were a few people that questioned Ollie's tactics. Look, anyone that says to me that Ollie doesn't have any tactics, there's a lot of people saying that. Quite frankly, you don't come third, you don't beat Guardiola three times, you don't beat Lampard three times, you don't, like I said, come third in the Premier League if you have no tactics simple as that you probably on he probably isn't on the level isn't on the level of a Klopp or Guardiola but to say he doesn't have any tactics is just plain disrespectful and again it's fueling that agenda that you have so I'm going to ask you what do you think of Oli's tactics in general I think after lockdown and are you are you seeing a bit of a shift because when you look at the sort of I guess the average positions map you saw Pogba a lot deeper I think we'll talk about Pogba in a little bit. I think there's more to that than just the tactics. I think Pogba isn't fit yet. But um, are you a bit concerned? Because, again, we look very much like we're attacking down the left-hand side, which is something that we know we've been doing for years because of the fact we don't have a right-winger. Uh, are you concerned at all about all these tactics going into the season? It's interesting when we talk about tactics because there are football fans that talk about tactics and then there's football fans that think they're playing football manager. So these two things are very, very different. You know, when we talk about what a team should do, quite often you can put your tactical out output into your team and say, I want you to do this. And then they can't do it for certain reasons. One might be that they're not good enough, but two at this moment, as we know, the fitness levels are shot. So if you want them to do certain certain things on a football pitch and they're not fit, it's not going to work. Am I worried about Ole's tactics? Not really, as you just said there and highlighted. Manchester United came third last year, so they were the best team outside of Liverpool and Manchester City. That's pretty good for a team with no tactics, isn't it? You know, a team gets to three semi-finals last year with no tactics. You know, a team you know gets uh, to a position where they feel that they can not kick on in uh, in the top four with no tactics. It's rubbish at the end of the day, and is football fans again being reactionary? Uh, is Ole a godhead in the tactical sense, like Pep Guardiola or um, Jurgen Klopp? Well, no, but Pep Guardiola, with all his tactics, lost five two against Leicester. So it's it's relative at the end of the day. Ole wants to play 4-2-3-1. That means you have to play players in that system and how you want to play them. I heard people say to me yesterday, Mason Greenwood's not tracking back. And it's like, well, he's not supposed to track back in the 4-2-3-1. 
oh, Pogba's too deep. You know, well, if he's part of the double pivot, that's where he plays. So, so all of this stuff is more opinion of fans of what they think players should be doing and what Ole should be doing rather than what's actually happening on a football pitch. I've got no issues with the tactics. You're going to play 4-2-3-1. You need players to play that and do that and do it successfully. And I think United are built to play that system. Eventually, they could play 4-3-3. You know, if you bring in Sancho, there is that, that possibility of playing a 4-3-3 system. Um, and that would be the kind of ultimate utopia, I think, for for Ole. But at the moment, 4-2-3-1 suits the team. I heard people say 4-4-2 diamond, 5-3-2, let's do this. It's all, it's all football manager. It doesn't how it works. You don't go on your training ground the next day and just say, right, let's just change the system tomorrow because some fans don't like it. You know, United are, are pretty set where they are. I like the system. I think they need to look at individual pieces in the team. We said Lindelof. We'll talk about other players afterwards. Other players need to do better. But while they're not fit, it's very difficult to judge those things until you see it over a period of games. And I wouldn't be thinking about looking at Ole's tactics for 20 30 games and people might go oh, that's a long time it's not in football 20 games is nothing in football you have to look long term yeah absolutely no one was complaining were they after the restart when we were the best team in the land in terms of form and we we're playing 4-2-3 and we we're absolutely killing it so I, I look for me Pogba was played his best football during that restart period, I fully believe that, okay, it's fantastic when Oli first came in and he was playing more of the Bruno role, wasn't he? Further forward. And everyone wants to see Pogba further forward, I think. Well, I'm one of those people. I, I think he's got ability, attacking abilities, which uh, at times you can perhaps suggest that we're not utilising to its full full potential. But actually, we're playing our best football since the restart with 4-2-3-1. Pogba was keeping it simple. He was con- just... If anything, the best thing I could say to him is that he didn't do anything which was outstanding. He just kept the ball moving. He was his he was brilliant at his passing. He kept his position. And a lot of it also is down to personnel, isn't it? I love Nemanja Matic. I think he's fantastic. He's key to United's success. That I fully believe that. And it's a shame that he's the age he is because if you had him three, four years younger, he could play twice a week. I think United you should see defensively they look much more solid. Obviously, against Brighton, who we weren't particularly great, but down to fitness. But when you look at sort of Matic and his energy not as mobile. So if you had someone more mobile behind, I think Oli would push Pogba further forward, but I don't think he can. And you talk about sort of personnel. Um, talk to me about those sort of positions. So let's go into the defence. A lot of people were very surprised Lindelof started. I was surprised Lindelof started after the comments Oli made about Eric Bailly. I thought Bailly would have started. But look, to Lindelof's credit, he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do anything bad. I don't think he made any mistakes. Uh, I think this is a problem that People have written Lindelof off, Lindelof off completely. I don't think he should start, but I don't think he's as bad a player as he's showing. Him and Maguire, I'm convinced, make each other look worse because they don't complement each other's weaknesses. If anything, they exasperate each other's weaknesses. You see, obviously, the lack of pace is a big issue. We play a high line. And then I do think, as well, Wan-Bissaka disappointed me. Again, I don't think he's fit, but positionally, Rob, how many times does Solly March have, have that freedom at the back post? A better player would have put away two or three of those chances. That's a major concern for for me. Uh, let's let's take out the the tactics. Obviously, I've I've got a question here saying is it issue of player fitness tactics lack of signings? We can say it's all of the above, really. More so the fitness, but that the the, the clips you see or the pictures you see of how sort of close the defense are, it, you know, in in terms of when they're in the box is a big problem for me. And would you say that's a, a tactical thing? Would you say that's a, just Wan-Bissaka not being switched on in his awareness. 
Um, because for me, that's that's quite concerning. And when I look at that defence, again, I, they bunch up a lot. We saw it against Spurs last year where Luke Shaw, uh, when Bergwijn obviously scored that goal, and Luke Shaw was very much not trusting his pace on the outside. I think we have a problem at fullback, not with so much Wan-Bissaka, because I think a right winger would uh, improve his level of performance. But Shaw as well, I think, is a problem. And someone said to me, oh, well, Shaw got the free kick for the goal. Personally, I said, is that how low the standards have fallen that we're praising Luke Shaw for getting a free kick? Um, I think we've got a problem there. And again, the centre-back pairing is going to get exposed a few times this season if we carry on. Yeah, I think you can break all those points down and actually look at reasoning and, and kind of get somewhere with it. So let's start off in the middle, yeah, with with the two centre-backs. They're both too slow. We know this. There's there's nothing new about that. They were slow last year and they only considered, what was it, 36, 37 goals. But they were still slow and it was still something that we tried to highlight. Uh, when you look at the full-backs, I think part of the issue for them going forward is that that's the modern fullback role now. You know, fullbacks are wing-backs effectively. They have to give you width. And we know that Shaw and Wamasaka do not give you production. The issue for the fullbacks is that they are constantly looking over their shoulder at where their centre-backs are. So that is a big problem. You know, that doesn't happen at Liverpool. Those fullbacks bomb on. They're not, they're not worried about what's behind them. They go on and they go and do their job and they go and get tons of assists. Now, I think when you look at Wan-Bissaka and you look at the goal for the, obviously the Brighton equaliser, he is absolutely at fault. And obviously that still of, of the back five at that point has flashed around social media and everyone getting upset about the shape and one thing or another. What you've got to remember is that Manchester United are not used to playing with three centre-backs. People say, oh, yeah, they do do this in certain games. All this. They don't. It's not a tactic that Ole uh, puts out there a lot. I think it was a right tactic with 10 minutes to go. And the reason why Eric Bailly didn't start, and this is something that, again, fans just overlook over and over again, as I found out yesterday, is that he wasn't fit to start. He wasn't ready. He got a knock against Luton. That was reported. And Ole kind of chatted about it and said, yeah, you know, we're happy with what, what Eric did, but, you know, he did get a knock, but let's see what happens. And the revisionism says that Ole didn't pick him. So it's 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 odd. I, it's, these are the things, as a not just as a United fan that get me, but as a journalist, you think, God, all these facts that just kind of get overlooked. Wambasaka's not fit. He's getting there. You know, he came back through quarantine. You can see that. His issue is that when the ball is inside him, he has problems in terms of his decision-making. When the ball's on the outside, he can tackle. That's why his nickname is Spider. He gets those big, long legs out and he can tackle. He's quick. He's quick thinking. Inside, the game slows down for him too much. He doesn't make good decisions. It's one of the reasons why I said he couldn't be a centre-back because he doesn't have that natural central element to his game. He was at fault for that goal. I know a lot of people were saying, oh, Bruno should have been back and one thing or another. When you've got five across the back, Really, what Wambasaka has to do there is trust the centre-backs, which is difficult because they're slow. And he went too short and the ball went over him and they scored. And that is his mistake. And that's something that Ole needs to work with him going forward over time. Luke Shaw, like you just said there about the the um, the free kick and standards and all this, I actually think that that was a brilliant thing that Luke Shaw did. He got forward and he won that free kick by driving the ball and driving past two players. Now, again, when we set standards for players I think we have different levels for different players so like Pogba is one Paul Pogba gives the ball away and everyone wants to sell him and kill him straight away Matic could give the ball away and everyone goes well it's Matic it's all right isn't it you know it's not not as bad as Pogba I think when you look at Luke Shaw he suffers from the same thing so if he's driving the ball forward and he, he loses the ball and people just say oh you're slow you're overweight you're not good enough sell him sell him sell him quite often the reality is somewhere in the middle it's not one or the other
So I think Luke Shaw could do well, especially if Tellers comes to the club. I think that they will put pressure on each other and they're different kind of fullbacks. That would work for me. I think Wan-Bissaka needs to have a season now where he drives the ball forward because he started at Crystal Palace as a winger and we need to see that wing play come out of him a little bit more. The problem is he doesn't cross the ball that well, so he needs to get on a training pitch and practice. But when it comes to the centre-backs, short-term, I think Bailly might be the answer with uh, with Maguire. I personally don't think Lindelof is up to it. I don't think he's a top 10 defender in the league. I don't think any of the top 10 teams would want him. Um, he's too slow. His decision-making isn't good. He brings fear to those in his own team around him. And that's a big problem. You know, if you've got a fullback on the outside who's worried about what you're doing, you know, doesn't have that trust, what's going to happen? Mistakes. So lots to sort out in the defence for Ole this year. And I think he's, as a manager, he's brave enough to make those decisions. He's proved it last year that when players are not doing it for him, whether you're an Alexis Sanchez on half a million pound a week or not, you leave, he gets rid of you. And I think he will solve that conundrum at centre-back. United are hot on Mengi, they're hot on Tuinzebi. Ole talked a load about Tuinzebi a few days ago. I think if he gets fit, he'll start as well. So United could have three or four viable centre-backs, even if you take Lindelof out of the mix. And if Mengi comes through and starts playing games, you might see United have got four solid centre-backs. But it's a work in progress. Fantastic points, Rob. Perspective, perspective, perspective. And I always find when I speak to you, there's that in abundance. Uh, yeah, I agree. Look, I'm going to pick that apart. I agree. Let's start with the centre-back pairing. I agree on Lindelof. And it's a shame. I see people saying, why doesn't he go and play defensive midfield? And you know, that's an option. He played there at Benfica, but I think let's let's not do that square <laughs> pegs around holes. This is this is what I'm trying to say. This this is the point, isn't it? It's like like for example, when you said about that revisionism, it's it's just doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. I, I can understand the th reasoning, but I there's a look, Ollie, if Ollie was on the same wavelength and he watches him week in, week out and thinks he can play that position, he'd be playing there right now. That's just my view. And also just one more thing to add. It's like, you know, again, we say, talk about Paul Pogba in that situation. People talk about Paul Pogba being a 10. Yeah. How many times has Paul Pogba played as number 10 in his career? You know, like, and I'm talking about regular. He, he, never. Yeah, he, he's never, never, played never. He's in his, he's in his mid to late twenties now. He's pushing on and he's never played there. Why? Because every coach he's played for has decided that that's not his position. So yeah. fans might love, you know, Silky Pogba on the edge of the box. And the boy can do all of that. We know that. He can beat people. He's got, you know, he's got an amazing pass. And in the back of his mind, he can see a picture all the time. Why does Paul Pogba not play as a number 10 every week for all the teams he's played for? Because it's not his best position. So analytics are used for all of these things. And Pogba's best position is, as I've said countless times, is as a quarterback. He's not the best tackler of the ball, but modern number sixes are not. They're there to sweep up and to get the ball going in the right direction. Pogba's playing the right position, you know, and I think most of the boys in the team are playing where they should be at the moment. There's no one I look at and kind of think, no, that's some wild tactical maverick decision and, and that player shouldn't be in that role because that's that's their position. That's where they play and they have to prove themselves when on the pitch. Yeah, spot on about Pogba and uh, we'll talk about him in a second. I completely agree. You know, on, on the centre-back pairing as well, I would be very happy to see Mengi or Tunzebi coming. Even Bailly. Look, my issue with Bailly is just because he's so injury-prone. He hasn't developed that game. I think the rashness does come down to the fact he hasn't played enough. It's not really his fault. It's just the situa situation it's in. I think it's quite clear we won't sign the centre-back. We'll go on to signings later. But we have options there that could, on paper, 
fit in nicely next to Maguire. And even Lindelof, I think if you put a buy-in next to Lindelof or a Twinsavi, you'd probably see Lindelof's performances go up as well. But I agree with you when you say, when you're looking back, and it's, I always compare the sort of our defensive situation to when De Gea first joined. And you remember we had Rio, Vidic, um, who else? Evra, I can't remember who's right back. It might have been, who was that right back? We, we, we rotated a few times. So I think Jones used to play right back when De Gea first joined. Um, and when you looked at uh, Raphael, and when you look at how good that defense is on paper, but do you remember how shaky they were just because of the fact they were looking behind them thinking, this guy ain't up to it. It's, yeah. So it's, it's just a mentality thing. I completely agree with you. When you look at wan and you probably look at Shaw and they're thinking behind them, we can't go too far forward because if we get broken on, these two are toast against pace. It's a big and problem. Look, That's a big yeah. problem mentality because if, you're, if your centre-backs are not quick... And you're the guys expected to look after those centre backs. If you know players are overlapping or running the channels or any of those things, that completely destroys any progressive game that you have because you have to watch. And with Wambasaka, you know, got to remember he's still a kid, and he, you know, he's not an experienced defender. He's not been in loads of situations where he's had to work himself out. But he's at Manchester United now, and obviously every mistake you make is is highlighted to an incredible magnified uh, means, isn't it? I think for him, it's difficult to look inside and then probably his, his centre-backs are telling him to go. And he's probably thinking, well, if I do go, then I'm kind of messing up my position in, in a defensive sense. So what do I do? So that's something that Ole needs to again work out with him and to give him the trust and say, right, go for it. But you need centre-backs with pace. You need at least one who can do the coverage. And of course, by is the obvious choice at the moment. Ideally, go out and buy one. As I always say, if you want a top centre-back, then go and buy one. You know, there are people on the market you can go and get, but you have to spend the money. And United are definitely looking at other targets at the moment. Yeah, and you just look at look at what Ruben Diaz has gone for. Close exactly. to 70 million. It's crazy money. Centre-backs are quality centre-backs. There are some on the market, but yeah, you're going to have to pay. Nathan Ake, I, I tweeted yesterday. I don't think Ake played badly, but... I was not really for the Ake signing. A lot of United fans were upset we didn't go for him. I said, for 40 million, I don't really see him as much an improvement of what we've got. I'd much rather pay to Nzebi. So for that 40 million, you've got to look over at Arsenal. I know Gabriel's in his early phases, but for 27 million, I think that could be a great signing. But sort of looking at, I guess, Luke Shaw, you make some interesting points. He's definitely one of those who's on the level of Pogba in terms of getting scapegoated consistently. People forget the, the impact of that injury mentality-wise. But then also, I think there's the other side of the coin. We don't, we shouldn't be sentimental. If you're not good enough, we can't keep you the club because obviously, oh, we feel sorry for you. I think Luke Shaw is one of those who's definitely improved under Oli. And there's countless players that have improved under Oli. I think Matic is playing his best football and he's a Mourinho man. So this, this notion that Oli doesn't improve players is, is rubbish. But when I look at Luke Shaw, you're right. I think him and Tellers together could push each other on. But my thing was sure, and my thing, I suppose, when you say that those standards, when we're when we're excited because our fullback drove on, I think for me that's that's a concern because that should be the bare minimum from your fullback, in my opinion, to be able to at Man United should be able to drive on, should be able to take on a man. I know Wan Bissaka is still only in his career, but I just think when people say we don't need a left back, we don't need more attacking output. I think you find that it's hindering our attacking player. Something I do want to pick up on as well is the, the idea about Mason Greenwood not tracking pack. I saw a ridiculous tweet as well. This made me so angry. Is that when you take away the goals, what is Mason Greenwood? I mean, it's this... What, what is it with... I, I don't know what to say, Rob. What is it with football fans? 
the, one of the hardest skills he's what, 18 19 years old one of the hardest skills is being that good at finishing to be to be that ice cold in front of goal that composure so what you take it out and he's nothing that is just such rubbish it's like saying oh take the goals away from Icardi take the goals away from uh from Inzaghi because Inzaghi was you know Inzaghi was considered to be an awful footballer all he could do was score apparently that that's the that's the stories that go around if you listen to the stories I listen to a born few offside yeah born offside him. I've listened to quite a few podcasts I'm really interested in Serie A it's my it's my second league and um I, I've listened to a lot of podcasts uh, with Gab Marcotti and James Richardson and James Horncastle and they were saying that uh yeah, in training, apparently, a lot of the players, I think Totti was saying that Inzaghi has, you actually questioned, they were doing like a like a rondo or something, and he had no ball-playing ability. But you get to the game, and he just scores goals. And look, Mason is so, so talented. The fact that people are now going at Mason because they're saying, oh, well, what does he offer? It's just ridiculous. And it's the modern football fan, isn't it? It doesn't matter no, what you No do. Manchester United fan with a brain is going after Mason Greenwood, right? This, again, we have to really... You know, dig your your flag into the sta- into the sand and stand there with it, and be sure of what is what. There is no Manchester United fan who has got a, something up here in terms of football that's going after Mason Greenwood. The only people going after Mason Greenwood are those who want to fight because they just want to pick up on a subject. It's ridiculous, but this kind of ridiculous nature that we see in football is something that's been invented over the last 10, 15 years. You know, and it's not something that's going away because, like I said, it's a societal issue. It's not really just about football. People will literally argue their way out of a wet paper bag if they could, you know, because it's just their fun and that's what they get out of it and that's what they enjoy. They enjoy the conflict. And you either give them the conflict back or you block them. On Twitter, that's what you do. And, you know, I get called all sorts of names every day of the week. And it might be because my opinion is that I think Mason Green was really good. So other people might think he's not very good. Or it might be on a transfer or it might be on a tactic or it might be on Ole. I get told I'm Ole in all the time. And I constantly say, I'm Ole nothing. I just want the manager to do his job. And I'm happy with the tactics. I'm happy with the results. I'm happy with the player development. So, yeah, you, you judge a person on their last day and then over a projection of a year, that's how I look at it. So, yeah, all of that, you see, I, I think it's best that United fans don't get into it because you, you can kind of look at all the beef that goes around social media around a player and some players are popular and some aren't. But then if you really kind of reel it back and actually look at the reasonings for that, most of the times it's it's contrived. And so you said Pogba and Shaw there. Perfect examples of kind of personality politics coming into football because people don't like their personalities or don't like them for what they are or their body shape or because they dance at a wedding or their haircuts. They get ostracised out of the picture in terms of what the action oh. should be in the future. So all of those things you see, yeah, and for some guys it is a it's there's racism in there some in some places with Pogba, and I think. With Luke Shaw, there's a kind of the the flip side of it where people are kind of talking about, oh, you know, he's a he's a privileged white boy in a Man United team. I don't think it's that either. I don't think anybody at Man United gets paid a wage because of privilege. They're there to try and prove a point and to prove themselves and to win. And that's why the football club gives them the money. Nobody is there on their laurels. Even the likes of Phil Jones, who gets you know a lot of um, flack for for what he does at Man United, which is not a lot, you know. He's not there because he, he's just trying to steal a living. I hear that live that term all the time. It's one of my little bugbears about football because I don't believe any footballers generally steal a living. They're all there to win. They're all there to, to train hard. 
Um, if it works, great. But if it doesn't work, then that's why you leave a football club. That's why you get sold. That's why you'll see someone like Rojo, Smalling, players like that, Sanchez, Lukaku. These are why these players have gone because Manchester United have identified that they're not going to help them win. And that's the that's the ecosystem of a football club. Yeah, fantastic points. And that sort of leads us on very nicely to Paul Pogba. And I would agree, one last point is that I've been using the block button a lot recently. And it is a, it's, it's such a great feature, Rob. You know, I'm, I wake up in the morning, I don't have idiots in my mentions. So <laughs> it's really nice. But, I, I, um, I just don't, I don't rise to it. So if, if someone attacks yeah. me, I quite often get called all the time. People go, oh, you're bald because I shaved my head and they go, Oh, you bored this, you bored that. So I just block. It's not, it's not, a con I wouldn't argue with kids on the street about something like yeah. that. So why would I argue on my phone? So a yeah. lot of that stuff is just, it's nonsensical. And in football, there's a lot of nonsense. Absolutely. And, and some, something I will say is very interesting because when you first came on my podcast, I said, Oh, you're Ollie in, aren't you? It's funny, isn't it? How that sort of narrative Reflection. is yeah. because it's really fine because honestly, that's what I thought maybe because, you know, I know you weren't the biggest fan of Jose, so I just automatically, it's funny, didn't even know you, and I just assumed that was one of the first questions. Do you remember the first thing you said to me was, I'm not Oli in. I just want yeah. the manager to do well. well this well, is important. What and I'm in the same so what history shows is that I was very much Jose in. Yeah, At a time when we were talking about Jose Mourinho coming to Manchester United, every piece I wrote was pro Jose Mourinho because at that point, I 100% believed that he was the right guy to take over from Van Gaal in terms of someone who had success. And I was Jose in all the way until the final three or four months of, of, of before he was sacked. So again, there's revisionism there because people only look at your last tweet. And obviously I'm not a fan of Mourinho now. I've never, I never was really a fan of his. I just thought he was the right appointment. I've never been anti-Jose, but people can perceive that because they do it on the last six tweets rather than maybe the last six years. <laughs> and that and that's that's unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. And I, and I'm not pro anyone in football when it comes to that. I just want someone to do the job, whether it's a player or a manager. Absolutely, and that's that revisionism and what what suits your agenda. I think that's too much of that on Twitter. But let's move on to Paul Pogba. We've obviously mentioned him in quite a bit of depth, but for me, it's I honestly it made me so angry. What my only criticism it wasn't even of Pogba because everyone's forgetting he had COVID. You talk to anyone that's had COVID, the effects that it has on your body, and also there's long term effects. I'm not a scientist, so I'm not going to go into that. But there are reports that say you have these long term effects. And he's look, I think Ollie's in a very difficult position. I I did the breakdown of Banter Show on All for United. I, I host that. I had Rodri Giggs and you know Abdul as well. He's he was um, and Roger was saying to me that he was saying like Ollie's in a difficult position because do you play Pogba to get his fitness up because you need to get his fitness up or do you obviously arrest him and you play van der Beek? my only thing was that i think he had one of his worst games for united and I, i'm not gonna single him out and this is a problem there's people generally who just waiting for him to have a bad game so they can abuse him and it's not even constructive we can all say paul Pogba did not have a good game I don't think any United player had a good game. Bruno, I think, had a terrible game. But Bruno affected the game with a goal and an assist. But remember, he gave away a, a penalty as well. But it's what suits the narrative. And I think there is a racial undertone to it. I, I think you'd be very naive to think otherwise with certain people, not everyone. But I think also, Paul Pogba is the only footballer I can ever remember in the Premier League that's that's been criticised this badly. He's expected to score goals. He's expected to defend. He's expected to do assists. He's expected to lead. He's expected to do everything. Why, though? This is what I want to ask you. Why is there such an expectation on him? But you've got someone like Kepa, who's £72 million 
pound worth goalkeeper he's got wrists like a jacob's cracker he's absolutely shocking not a word's been said nabi Kater's come in 52 million done absolutely nothing there's other players that have come in and not done anything but paul pogba is the one who always from large quarters of the media gets unfair abuse he's the one that's that gets criticized off the field on the field i mean there is an agenda there isn't it for me pogba probably shouldn't have started because i just think that he wasn't ready I would have played Van der Beek. Van der Beek's been playing quite well. But Oli selected him. For you... Pogba, yeah, Pogba, yeah, what Pogba, is Pogba, it? Sorry, Pogba gets the the heat because he gets the clicks. It's as simple as that. Yeah, Pogba is a superstar. So Paul Pogba can, you know, eat his dinner wrong one day and it gets reported in the press. That's how it works. So first and foremost, you know, again, you've got to kind of reel it back a little bit. Do young black men who are successful get... Uh, incredible pressures put on them and held to different standards that maybe white equivalents do. Absolutely, they do. That's that is that's a real thing. That's again a societal problem, not just a football problem. When it comes to Paul Pogba, if he has a bad game. Everyone can absolutely say he had a bad game, but then you have to reel it back again and say, right, why did he have a bad game? What was the issue? Is it because Paul Pogba doesn't train, or is it because Paul Pogba doesn't care, or is it because Paul Pogba is a big time Charlie? It's none of those things. At the moment, he's behind in his training schedule. The reason why he played, and again, Ole tells everyone this in the pressers. So people need to start listening to the pressers. He said he was really pleased with how Pogba trained and he felt that Pogba was ahead of other players when it came to the fitness. Now, a lot of people said, why did Van der Beek not play? He's ready to play. Well, how do you know he's ready to play? Yeah, Have you looked at the sports science and the reports that they get at the football club? The analytics no, you is key, isn't it, Rob? One thing that, I'll tell you about Donny van der Beek is that Donny van der Beek's always going to be an energetic, energetic player. He's not kicked a ball in competitive football for like six months. So, again, this is all about revisionism. This is all about opinion, how people see things, how they want to see it. I totally agree that, uh, and for me, you know, with Ole, in the sense that I think Pogba should have started that game. If he's the guy that's got the best fitness, even if it's not the top fitness at that moment of his game, then you play him because you have to start giving players minutes. Someone said to me, oh, why did Pogba not play at Luton? And I was like, well, you, you want Pogba to play the good minutes in the Premier League because that's the standard. You don't want Paul Pogba running around in a championship game, you know, against some a team that's going to hit him hard and put him in places where he doesn't want to be. What and happened to Rochdale? Rob. Yeah, it's we just exactly, exactly. and that's you, you know we can look at history, and history tells us a lot of these answers at the end of the day when we're posing questions. You know, the Rochdale game absolutely showed it. He wanted to play that game. He played because he begged the manager and said, "I want to play that game." And he got injured, and he shouldn't have played. And I said all through that game, he should not be playing these games. So I feel exactly the same when it came to the Luton game. He shouldn't be playing those minutes. But it would be silly to say that if his fitness is in, improving to now just rip him out of the team and sit him on the bench. That's also nonsensical. That's not sport. So people do these things. They make these opinions on how they feel about stuff. It's, it's stupid to say to football fans, don't be emotional because emotion, emotions is what fuels the game. It's why fans watch it, you know, obsessively. But ultimately, a lot of these opinions are not based on facts. And when we question a manager about why they pick a player, I don't really think that fans always have a grasp on reality on how selections are made. It's not a guy with a bit of paper going, all right, let me check who's my in my team today. It, it, it's so much sports science that go into it. They talk to the trainers, they talk to the technical guys, and that's how they choose their starting 11s. And that's also how they choose the tactics. 
And it's a much more all-encompassing job than people think than just click, 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 like you're doing football manager to name your 11, let it go out. Did I win? Yeah, I won. Oh, that's great. I'll stick with that team. It doesn't work like that, unfortunately. It's not It's not reality. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with it. I think you're right. People need to start looking at the presses and actually picking out bits of information. But it's the agendas, it's the narratives. It's That's the thing that's been draining for me, Rob, I will say, this window. More than any other window. Maybe it's because United haven't been as active as we would have liked, but there seems to be just a whole load of different agendas that are just cropping up. I saw someone tweet the other day that uh, Oli said in the presser that we are working on players. Obviously, I hope some come in. And it basically, he this person interpreted it as, oh, look at him. He's a glazer puppet. He's agreeing with... And I'm just like, how, are you, how is your brain comprehending this? How is your brain thinking... Ollie saying, we are working on stuff. Let's see what happens to, oh, he doesn't want anyone. He's accepting the situation. It's just, and this is a problem, as you say, with society. But I also want to pick on one more player before we move on to the final bit, which is sort of the transfers. But Marcus Rashford is someone, again, who's getting a lot of stick. Someone that is doing some of the most incredible work using his platform, his, his, his obviously his, his fame and his, uh, you know, his reputation and who he is as a, as a means for good. I mean, the stuff he's done in Manchester in terms of with uh, Charles child you know hunger etc it's just it's incredible it's, it's beyond anything i'd expect a footballer to do if i'm being honest and that's really horrible to say but to use that platform for good that he has but you're seeing people in the comments when he posts something saying and he he quoted it himself and he said oh go back to uh playing football and you know to ignore what's going on and this is a question i'm going to pose and you know i i don't want to bring everything about race but if Rashford was white, would he be hearing the same sort of comments to him? Potentially. I think when it comes to football, again, the football fan has a very uh, thought out, perceived idea of what they want from their players. I think if you're doing it on a football pitch nonstop, you can almost do whatever you want. You know, that's, that's the way it is, football fans. You know, if Harry Maguire was the best centre-back in the world absolutely stellar what happened when he was on holiday the other day doesn't even touch the surface it, it gets reported and everyone goes whatever he's a great player let him get on with it the fact that he didn't have a great season individually means that he's kind of privy to other things at the end of the day and you know people can say about Maguire you know did, did he get as much heat uh, as maybe Pogba would have done well of course not Pogba would have got more heat if that was him or if that was Marcus Rashford uh, Marcus Rashford saw it a year ago obviously when he, he had the holiday with Jesse Lingard and that was all over social media and they both got absolutely caned for it and probably you know I, I get why fans look at it like that as far as Marcus goes you know I look at it like this most footballers are from a working class background. Yeah. I played football when I was young and we were all from a working class background. We're all from a council estate and you grow up and you see poverty and it's in your face and you live it and you breathe it and you never believe you'll get out of it. And that's how I was. That's how Marcus Rashford was. And that's how, you know, I, the dozens and dozens of players that I know and I keep in contact with all the time for work, most of them are from that background. Of course, the public, not everyone is. So this is why opinion changes. A lot of guys haven't lived in a council estate, haven't seen poverty, haven't been hungry at night. So that doesn't matter whether you're a millionaire or not. If you've been there, you remember it. I'm obviously a lot more successful now than when I was when I was a kid, and I'm, I don't live in poverty anymore. But I certainly remember it, and it affects the way I vote. It affects my opinions about the world, and it affects everything. Marcus Rashford is exactly the same. So he's using his platform for good. 
Do I think it affects his football? Not really. You know, I don't think there's, there's, I think there are two different things. I think you can do two things in life or three things in life or 10 things in life and not let them all affect each other. What I will say is this. I think Marcus Rashford had a really bad injury last year. He had a great start to the season. He carried the team. But, you know, when you kind of have that hairline fracture that he had in the back, that is a long injury to recover from. And I think in that last game against Brighton and also at the end of the Luton game, we started to see the old Marcus Rashford. He was there in his head. You could see it. He was making decisions that that Marcus Rashford from a year ago was making. So I think that's a positive. And I don't think Manchester United fans need to kind of get too overly hyped one way or the other about it. I think you need to let the boy to go and play football and get through and work through whatever his issues were in terms of his physicality. And that goal was world-class. You know, I tweeted, if that was Messi or Ronaldo or Mbappe or, or Neymar, everyone would have gone absolutely crazy about it. And it would have been on Soccer yeah. AM in the morning and people would have been talking about it, the, the greatest goal you know, of the season so far. It was fantastic what he did and how he was composed and how he got himself in the box. A little trick, comes back onto his other foot, smashes it, puts it away with the deflection. Great goal. We want to see more of that from Marcus now in the weeks ahead. But again, fans getting too excited about the wrong things. I'm proud of the boy, you know, to to put his time towards people who are hungry and who are facing poverty and facing stuff that he faced as a kid and I faced as a kid. I think, yeah, good on you. I'm happy for millionaires to give back in that way. Absolutely. That is fantastic, fantastic point. So I couldn't, couldn't agree more. And what I will say as well is that United, whatever you think of the ownership and, and the board, etc., actually... They've been one of the ones that have come out of the whole COVID situation with their heads held high. They've not followed anyone. They've trying to give as much to the community as possible. So I think in that respect, I'm so proud. For me, I just don't understand why people say focus on your football. You know, there, there are other players in the past that have done things off the pitch, but because they're doing well on the pitch, as you alluded to, no one said anything about it. They say it because they're idiots. You know, sometimes you just have to stand back and say, when you're an idiot, you think that because you're being selfish, because all you can think about is the ball going in the net. But that's not life. This is only part of their lives. You know, we, we have this kind of preconception about what footballers are. And I can tell yeah. you straight up because I work with them that it's wrong. You know, the preconception that they don't care and that they, you know, they have no interest in society and people and all this. It's just not 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 reality. When you look at what the United boys do locally through the football club and also through like uh, organisations like UNICEF, you know, they work. 24 hours a day with charities, you know, they don't have to, they could go home and just do nothing, you know, but the football club encourages it. And I wouldn't kind of give the Glazers any credit for that ultimately, because I think that's part of the the spin of a football club where you, you work with bodies to make yourself look good. There's PR in that, but you also have to look at what the players do and why they do it. And there's not one player I know that complains about the charity work they do. They all say, yeah, I'm happy to give back, but we, we look at them as playboys, you know, and the truth is they're not all playboys. Some of them are, but the modern footballer is an athlete, yeah? And most of those athletes, as I said, in our game come from working-class backgrounds, come from council estates. So they've seen it and they've lived it. So uh, it's just a case that people get tarned with the same brush across social media and a lot of people on social media haven't experienced it themselves, so they they just don't know. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's fantastic points, Rob. Honestly, I, I can't add anything to that. Before I talk about the transfers quickly, we've got Spurs coming up, Jose Mourinho, what is your sort of little quick predictions? Son looks like he's out injured. I don't know what's happening with Kane. Obviously, he got the red card, but I think I believe it might just be the League Cup that he's uh, he's he's banned for, and then he might play on the weekend. But no, I don't um, think Kane got the red card. It wasn't Kane. It, was it wasn't Kane. Kane. 
It was a training okay. staff who got it. It was with him, yeah. Yeah, but obviously, we, we, let's not go into that VAR decision because it was just absolutely ridiculous. Well, you know, it's good for United. Obviously, Spurs dropped two points, but it was, it's just ridiculous. Uh, the whole handball rule now is just a bit of a fuss. But what I will say is, are you confident going into this game? We obviously seem to play better in the bigger games. I think it suits us if we like to play on the break. But Jose's side is going to sit deep as they do. They're going to play on the counter. So, you know, with an extra game we've got on Wednesday, some more fitness under our belt, do you expect United to win on Sunday? Uh, I, I'm not going to say I'm confident about any game for the next six weeks because unless you get your fitness right, it doesn't matter who you're playing, you're going to be you know at liberties to mistakes and potentially poor performances. So have I? Did I see bits in the, the last few games where I think there's signs of improvements? Yes, I do think that Ole might rotate it and bring in Van der Beek. Uh, you know, he might kind of look at his system and try and find a way to actually balance um, the the kind of issues that we are seeing in, in, uh, with fitness. But I think that Tottenham team, you know, they've been savvy in the transfer market. I don't think Bale's going to play from what we're hearing. You know, his fitness isn't there. Uh, Regulon is an upgrade. And I think they're getting there. But losing Sun for them is a huge miss. So Manchester United will look at that as a positive. Um, we, we have done well against Tottenham in recent times as well. I think... Jose's system actually suits us a little bit more when we play against him. So, you know, it's not as maybe as dynamic as other systems. They're not going to run United in the same way that other teams run United. And that will make United happy because it means the two centre-backs will probably not be looking behind them. They'll be looking in front of them where, where Kane's moving in the channel. So it's a 50-50. It's one of those games where I wouldn't I wouldn't want to make a prediction on it. Like, again, everyone always says to me, every time we talk about football match, what's your prediction? Well, I don't, I, you know, I don't do football predictions. It's because because you can't predict a score. It's ridiculous. It's almost like a ridiculous thing. It's like throwing money at a, at a betting, like an accumulator. It, it, it's it's just a guess at the end of the day. Well, look at yesterday, Rob. It's if just if I said to you, yeah, if I said to you, all right, Leicester, uh, Leicester played City, West Ham yeah. played Wolves, and in combination there were nine goals. Who would you think it was against? You would have said. West Ham and Leicester. You wouldn't have said that City and Wolves would have conceded nine between them. What would what were the odds would have been for Leicester to win five two at the Etihad? What we were doing two hundred to one, three hundred to yeah, one. Yeah, they're crazy. not even real things. They're just they're crazy. And I think at the start of the season, football fans have to taper expectations. Now you don't want your football team to lose, but this is the time, especially with what happened with COVID and the elongated campaign last year, that we're going to see some weird results at the start of the season, and it's going to affect everyone and i had united fans come on to me uh, last night and say to me oh you've been going on about this pre-season thing and we've been saying you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong and then they're going we just realized you were right and it's like it's not about whether i'm right or wrong this is just facts this is just where we are as a football club and we need to get the fitness back hopefully with some training in their legs now with some games that they play tottenham and that they're they're ready they're more ready than we've seen obviously in the last two premier league games the Brighton game obviously comes into this as well for, for fitness for the wider squad. But we should start to see something more like the normal Manchester United that we saw maybe towards the end of last season uh, during the after lockdown. Um, hopefully, you know, we, we can only keep our fingers crossed for those things because um, it's not an exact science. It's just trying to get players fit and getting them mentally fit as well. I think that's the other side of it after this short period. They had a, a short uh, holiday and some of those guys still might have mental fatigue. I know football fans don't want to acknowledge that as well. But some guys do need the off-season just to kind of chill and relax and get their heads straight, uh, as you do in any sport at the end of the day.
Yes, well, and last point I'll make on that is that I think City losing in that fashion, I think Wolves losing as well to put things in perspective, especially for me as well. I was quite quite disappointed. I understood the fitness aspect, but I was disappointed in saying, well, you know, City are doing quite well, aren't they? Well, they just got spanked 5-0. <laughs> I think first time Pep's ever been beaten by five in 686 yeah. games. Yeah, and the tweet, I, the tweet I put about Bayern Munich, which is exactly what you're just saying there, people, yeah. I put in the tweet, and this is why people don't read to the final sentence. They just read the first six letters or whatever. You know, and I was like, you know, Bayern Munich, it, it's it's not whether you do well in a game, it's when it catches up for you, with you. So sometimes it is the second game. Sometimes it's the fifth game. You know, you could be training, training, playing, playing and doing that cycle. But then you hit a wall on the fifth game and it is because of fitness. Bayern Munich won 8-0 and everyone likes, oh, well, there's nothing wrong with their fitness. And then they lose 4-1 and people go, well, it's not fitness. It is fitness, you know, but Man City don't lose 5-2 at home, do they? Ever, you know, Pep Guardiola has never conceded five in his life. So that is fitness. That's not because Man City are suddenly terrible. It's not because their defence is suddenly completely terrible. They are addressing that with a big sign-in. You're going to see these these teams, the teams that have had rest and have had a holiday and been able to put their feet up and have a bit more of a normal pre-season. Brighton, for instance, have played nine games. The Manchester United game, that was their ninth game in a row. That was United's fourth game. They're five games off them. In professional sports, that hammers you. Yeah, absolutely. And my, my last sort of thing is I hope that this extra time that these three sides have had off will actually pay dividends later on in the season. I hope that, you know, when the when the the fixtures start to be more congested, I hope that United will have an advantage. Because I do worry, Rob, if I'm being honest with you, I, just, I, I have... It's a horrible feeling. It's going to finish me off. But Liverpool, I think that I think they're going to walk it this year. I know it's three games in, and people are saying, "Oh, look at Everton." I'm still saying this now. Everton will not finish in the top four. I know a lot of people might now uh, save this circlet, but I just don't think they will because you've seen in the past teams have fantastic starts, but I don't know if they've got the quality. And when it gets to Christmas, when they've got Alan and obviously James Rodriguez, who haven't had the British winter, uh, so you don't know what's going to happen, how they're going to cope during Christmas time. So that that's the sort of point. Do you have anything to add to that at all? Uh, my tip for the title is still City. I've seen nothing in these opening weeks that makes me think anything else. Well. The reason for that is because that they've got the best squad. Simple as that. And I think once they get going, they'll win games. Uh, I think the, the the Leicester result is an anomaly. Doesn't mean anything. And I think Liverpool will be very close to them. But my sleeper tip for the top four and also potentially winning the title is Everton. And the reason why I say Everton is that when you look at them from back to front and you look at the constructs of that team, you look at their tactics and you look at their manager. Fantastic. Yeah, they, manager. Have, they have a perfect storm erupting at Goodison Park. And the perfect storm is that James Rodriguez wants to prove himself, yeah? And he wants to prove that he's one of the best in the world. His figures dictate that he is one of the best in the world. Now, he's obviously, he's one of these guys that operates on reputation, and his reputation is not so high at the moment. But he's got a great opportunity at Everton. And I think in front of him, Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin are going to be sensational this year. So that front, you know, that triad of players leading the team. And then you look at their midfield... You know, you look at at their fullbacks, you look at kind of how settled their centre-backs are. I'm not a fan of Jordan Pickford, but you know Pickford can go through runs of form where he plays really, really well. If Ancelotti gets all of that together, I think we could be getting to Christmas and seeing them doing what Leicester did last year. And there's always one team that is the sleeper hit, as I call it. Leicester won the title, what was it, three years ago now? And no one expected them to win that title. This Everton squad is better than that Leicester squad. Simple as that. 
Yeah, well, someone that's really impressed me actually has been Calvert-Lewin. I think I'm someone that thought, nah, he's just not good enough. But you're suddenly seeing there's so much service and he's he's fantastic. What I like about him, and I remember he was linked to United for 40, 45 million. And I thought, you know what, this is just ridiculous. But I'd have him at United. I, I, he's, he's sort of an old-fashioned sort of number nine, isn't he? He's good in the air. Hindsight's a beautiful thing. Hindsight's a beautiful yeah. thing because we look at Dominic Calvert-Lewin now and people can say that and go, oh, we'd have him at United. But of course, six months ago when he was linked to United, every United fan was going apoplectic about it and saying, oh, this is Glazonomics. We're bringing in players who are not good enough. I tell you what, Dominic Calvert-Lewin gets in probably most teams in Europe at the moment because of the way he's playing. And it's, yeah. also, it's also a testament to how Everton saw him develop and stuck with him when people were saying that he wasn't good enough and he wasn't scoring goals. United did the same with Marcus Rashford. Sometimes you have to stick with someone, get over the hill in those one or two years, and then see what they can become. And that's something, again, that football fans, because they're not patient, most of them don't subscribe to that. Yeah, I completely agree. Rob, let's move on to transfers, the last part. I've left this at the end because, quite frankly, it's the boring part. So if anyone's listening to this and they just want to hear that and skip through to an hour in, um, you're going to miss all the best <laughs> stuff. But um, let's let's have a look at it. So some news broke last night from pretty reliable sources, and Fabrizio was one of them. And obviously, you speak to the club, so I want to get your sort of insight onto this. I don't think it's anything groundbreaking, to be honest. We see that Tellez has agreed personal terms. Uh, I think this one's going to happen, but obviously it's the fee that United have to have to work out. Uh, you know, it's that COVID discounts that you've been talking about. I don't think we're going to get any. Maybe you might get a few million off Tellez. Maybe you can shed some light on the Sancho deal, but it looks like United will return for a bid for Sancho, finally. And I, I did tweet last night about 11 o'clock. I said, oh, it looks like United will be a little bit more active now in the at the end of the window. I expect them to be especially shifting players out. It looks like Pereira might be off to Lazio mm -hmm. with a loan, with an option to buy, I believe, not an obligation. I, I read somewhere 27 million euros. If United get that for Pereira, and I actually think Pereira would do very well in Italy, if I'm being honest. You saw the way young and Lukaku is a slower league. And my thing with Pereira has always been his, his, his mind is a couple of seconds behind what he wants to do. And the speed of the Premier League is too quick. I think there's a player in there. We all wanted him to to, to play at United under, when LVG was here, didn't we? He was, he was absolutely mm -hmm. killing it. So... Prayer looks like he will be out. Possibly Dan James of seeing a loan potentially to Leeds. I mean, maybe you can shed some light on that. And Smalling to Roma looks like another one. So where do you think United will look to bring him like, in whip positions? So obviously left back, right winger. And uh, I guess the question is, are Dortmund going to accept a lower upfront fee, which it looks like it's going to be, but for more, I would say, more concrete instalments uh, for Sancho? Okay, I said from day one, going months back, the, the Sancho deal would probably only happen in the final week of the window. And the reason why I said that is because every club I've spoken to has spoken, you know, hush-hush about COVID discounts. Everyone has talked about the marketplace collapsing in the final week. So I think you're going to see quite a few transfers happen in the final week that people were kind of shocked about, that even, you know, have not been reported because clubs have all got their targets and they've been working on them non-stop for six months. None of these things happen in just a blink of an eye. Sometimes you do. You'll get a loan deal that just pops up out, out of nowhere. But I think as far as Manchester United are concerned, they want Tellez. They believe that they can get him at the price that they want to get him at. The issue is that he has a, he has a percentage fee going to other football clubs that he's played for. So it's 25%. So obviously his team are trying to mitigate that and get that out of Manchester United. And United have said no. So... It doesn't really matter if personal terms have been agreed. I'm sure they will have done. It's not a problem for United. They generally agree personal terms of all their targets quite quickly because they pay more than anyone else. 
they have the structure to do that. Uh, but I think with Tellers, it will come down to the fee, and if they can get the fee at the at the agreeable price, he will arrive in the next two or three days. I've got very little doubt about that. Jaden Sancho, the bigger issue for him is that he has never um, publicly come out and said that he wants to join Manchester United, which would involve obviously putting in a transfer request. A transfer request would mean that he would lose millions of pounds in bonuses at Borussia Dortmund. He doesn't want to do that. His agent doesn't want to do that because they're going to lose money. So it has. To, so it's about playing the game here. And he's told United that he wants to sign for them. United are quite confident in their ability to to get the player to come in terms of personal uh, the personal details of of him uh, being on the wage structure at Manchester United. Will he come? I think it is 50-50 because Dortmund do need the money, but Dortmund are not going to sell at below market value, and their but their valuation of 120 million euros is above the market value. So again, fans have to understand that it's not just, you know, it's like me saying I want to sell my house, but just give me another hundred grand because that's what I want. It doesn't mean I'm going to get it. So I think with, with Sancho, it is in a precarious position and the player doesn't want to kind of upset the uh, apple cart at Dortmund. If he doesn't come, I do think Manchester United will go to their list of targets and potentially bring in someone on loan for a year. Um, again, it might not be a player that United fans are particularly happy with or okay, but I wouldn't be surprised. Saar from Watford, do you think it's one of I them? I think not on loan. No, I think if you buy Saar, you, you pay the 45 million and you, you say he's our guy and we're going to develop him. So, you know, he's he's not a short-term prospect, is he? He's not going to improve you in the next six months. Uh, he's a guy that would need time to settle at the football club. He is a potential target. He's on the list. But I'm, I think they would more explore the market of loan signings of, you know, veterans or someone who who needs game time or who, who wants the opportunity. Or of... Douglas Costa or someone yeah, like that. Yeah, I, I think Perisic, I don't really see it. But, you know, I think Douglas Costa is, a, is someone who has been linked with Manchester United multiple times. The football club have looked at him a lot over the years, um, even going back to his time with previous football clubs where he's been at. Uh, so he's he's a potential someone that you bring in and he could be a bench option and he could also start games and give you a little bit more balance. Um, not for me, though. Not the kind of player I want at, United yeah, I agree. At, this, at this stage. But I do think that it might well be a complete left field signing come in where people have gone, wow, we didn't see that happen. You didn't see it coming at all. Because there's no doubt that United have deliberately sounded out a ton of agents and a ton of football clubs and a ton of players. And that's to give themselves options in the final week. They knew it would go deep. Every club knew it would go deep. Don't be uh, pulled apart because Chelsea made those signings early. There's there's difference in reasons why they did that because they had money from previous transfer windows ready. So that's why they executed those deals and they were they were done way in advance. But United are kind of looking at things and they wanted to see how the season started. And we can see that the guys are short of fitness and there's positional issues. So that's why Tellers has popped up on it. Tellers wasn't a target. Two or three weeks ago, I think I don't know if it was you I was speaking to, where we talked about Regulon. Everyone, oh, Regulon's coming, yeah. and I said, "Well, tell us it is ahead of Regulon in United's target list." Yeah, he said that, that to well, me. We heard yeah. that directly from the football club, so we knew that Tellers was the guy that they would go after because he was just a better deal for them at the end of the day. So we'll see. I think last week will be interesting, and we'll will Jaden Sancho be wearing a Manchester United shirt at the end of it without wanting to just sound say I'm sitting on the fence. I think there's so many factors still to sort out. And when the transfer window starts to tick down, there comes a point where you have to say, no, we look at someone else now for the time being. And I think that's the most likely outcome, even though I do think United will go in with a big bid this week. 
One thing I do want to pick up on, I agree with you. I, I don't know about Sancho. At the beginning of the window, I was 80% in favour. Yeah, it's going to happen. As the window's gone on more and more. But look, I think United will go in with a bid. It's just whether they can get they can agree on the structure with Dortmund. Um, but what I do want to ask you is because I, I've got a good friend who's a Napoli fan. And <laughs> this is just devil's advocate. I'm just asking you the question. But um, he said that PSG put in a 40 million euro bid for Koulibaly, which is obviously going to get rejected. Uh, when I spoke to Jamie Jackson earlier on in the window, he said the, the real centre-back target they wanted, obviously they got a long-standing interest in Upa Meccano, but Koulibaly apparently has been the one that they've always liked. Maybe you can correct me on that. Um, and when I spoke to a few other people as well, they were also the view that Koulibaly is the one, but the problem is the price. We know the price is a lot for the age profile as well. But you sit Koulibaly in, and let's say you did get a Sancho and a Tellez, United have to challenge for the Premier League. That's my opinion. That's a really, really strong side. Koulibaly takes that defence to a next le to the next level. And he can also play on the left side of defence, which is what he does for Napoli. But I guess my question is that you talk about these surprise signings, but is it very possible that if United were managing to get Smalling out, maybe another, that they could actually return in for someone like Koulibaly on the last day for a 60 million euro deal? 100%. So what I said last week, it's exactly that. Um, let's talk Koulibaly. You know, his market value has been erratic over the years, but we know that he's a premium defender kind of operating at the top end of the transfer market. So before COVID, we're talking £80 million, and that was kind of the price. And Manchester City were not interested in that price in the last few weeks, and obviously now they've changed their target, have gone and got Diaz, and that, that means that the Koulibaly deal is dead as far as Manchester City concerned. But Koulibaly still has a market, and... At the end of the day, is he going to go for £80 million now if he leaves Napoli? No, nowhere near it. You know, his market value has shrunk because of COVID. It, it, people are talking about him going for even 45 50 million. Yeah, so we're talking about a premium experienced defender who could come in and do an immediate job. Would Manchester United be interested in that if they could get Chris Smalling and Marcus Rojo off the books and then potentially look at obviously moving Phil Jones off the books in maybe another window's time? Yes, United are looking to move defenders on. This is not a secret. We know this. Uh, I would expect Chris Smalling to go. He wants to go. Both Smalling and Rojo are not training with the main group at Carrington. They're training on their own. So they're as good as being told that they can leave the club and they want to leave. So they'll go and then they'll be off the, the wage bill. What you'll probably find is that the, the wage between Smalling and Rojo will be the wage that Koulibaly picks up. Be you know, Koulibaly's not going to be on... £400,000 a week or one of the real elite wages, he'll be on a really good wage. So could that deal happen? Yeah, I think it could. And I think that is exactly the kind of uh, left field deal where people might just go, wow. Because United have executed those deals in the past where you have a, a top name on the market and they've kind of gone sniffing really late because they've done their scouting previously. They wanted Falcao's one of them. Well, Falcao's a really it's interesting one, isn't it? Because Falcao was like a, a kind of literally last second signing on loan with very little risk and a load of upside. And what we found out happening was there was no upside because he wasn't fit enough. You know, we talked about fitness, you know, and Radamel Falcao wasn't fit enough at Manchester United in his period there. That's why we didn't see the best of him. Um, he was coming back from a bad injury. So, But I think we've... Um, when we look at Koulibaly, I would I will expect to see him in the Premier League uh, if he leaves Napoli. I think that's a natural destination for him in terms of money. And you might even see someone like Tottenham going for him very, very late. If that price is driven right down, you know, and I think it is going to be under £50 million. So work that out in euros. You know, so it's a lot less than, than what we were being quoted about him originally. 
Uh, and Napoli need money like every football club. That's why there's a, it's, it's a buyer's market at the moment, not a seller's one. So I think he's their, their top asset and they want to obviously bring other players to the club. And it's likely that after sitting on Koulibaly for two or three years, that they'll finally cash in because this is the moment when they actually need the funds. And it's funny because he was, what, a hundred million euro uh, price tag player a few years ago. And I, I'm sure we all know what De Laurentiis is like if you were Serie yeah, He's a very shrewd operator. He's difficult to deal with. He might be kicking himself. But I think something I want to add quickly is that when I spoke to this Napoli fan, he does a Napoli podcast, he said that the way that Napoli amortized their, because this is another thing, amortizing the transfer fee across uh, the number of the year of the contract. I think football fans need to remember that's what happens. It's not just... Here's 80 million. There you go. Uh, in Maguire's case, it was. But um, when you look at the way that Napoli do it, they pay a large percentage. They put down a large percentage on the books of the transfer fee in the first two or three years. So when they do go to sell the player, the police Valencia is, is, is much larger. So I think on Koulibaly, either way, they're going to be making a huge police Valencia, a huge profit on him. So I think, yeah, that's the one that I've just been thinking about quite a lot. And seeing that Ruben Diaz is gone, now he's going now to City. That takes them out of the equation. I can very much see after speaking to Jamie that Jamie Jackson, that United will, I think, if they can get the money together, I think they will go for that one. So um, that's my left field one. What what I'd say is this, is that Manchester United were not looking really at centre-backs in this window. Not originally. Yeah, That, that wasn't the position they were trying to strengthen. They did, you know, flirt with a few kind of transfers. Exactly. But I think a lot of that was paper talk. And the thing is, just because Manchester United are interested in someone doesn't mean that they're going to they're gonna sign them. This is another thing. I think Ed Woodward rightfully said in one of the, the press calls that he did last year that Manchester United were linked with 350 players in a transfer window. And he was like, and obviously we're not going to sign them all, are we? So again, there's a bit of reality check in some of that. I do think that if someone like Koulibaly comes on the market and several clubs, their ears prick up and they think, is there a deal to be done here? And I do think that Ole might well be looking at his centre-backs now and saying, is this time that, you know, I bring in an elite centre-back? And, and Koulibaly's got his weaknesses as well. Like, let's not, let's not kind of mince our words about that. He's he's not the complete centre-back, even though he's better than anything United have got uh, in the central position. Um, but it's all about price. And I think if United could get the price for him, then they would be interested. But that's not a deal that is in... In reality, at the moment, these are all hypotheticals. And would United move for a player like that at this stage? Well, if they're going to go and buy Sancho, the answer is no. The money is going to the Sancho deal. But you, you're not going to suddenly see United just pick up three players overnight and spend $250 million. It's not going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. I think Sancho's priority. Let's hope he happens because I think even though we've got defensive problems, you saw attacking wise i think you just need to look at the, the the positioning maps of the way our players play and that right side needs to be fixed it hasn't been fixed probably since nanny i'd say but uh rob always a pleasure as usual to have you on the podcast have you got any final words to say or any words of uh positivity for united fans i've been doing that recently because there seems to be a doom and gloom yeah i just think united fans and it goes for all football fans really is this stage of the season don't make judgments you know don't put that emotion on yourself all the time of the stress of a result because you lose a game or you don't see a performance in a player and all of that you know football the premier league it is absolutely a marathon not a sprint and everyone who kind of gets caught up in the week to week shenanigans of football and it lets them you know emotionally drain them and hurt them get rid. Don't do it. Don't do it. Your health is more important. That's how I view it now as a football fan. I get upset with bad performances. I get happy when I see a great goal from United, but 
at the end of the game, I turn the telly off and I walk away and that's okay. And I feel all right about it because I do have trust that the people behind the scenes, when it comes to Ole and his team, are trying to do the right thing, even if I don't trust the Glazers or what their intentions are with Manchester United. So now I just think it's a wait and see. Uh, everything is a work in progress. And in life, that's how it is. And You've just got to wait and see how how it all pans out. And I think the United are in a, a decent place when it comes to taking the football team forward. Rob, I always feel better talking to you about football, about United. Rob, the therapist, Blanchette, <laughs> like that should be your new at handle. But uh, guys, make sure you give Rob a follow. Obviously, it's at handle Z, at underscore capital R for Rob, underscore capital B. If you want to give me a follow as well, that's my one there. It's just my name, name at Hader underscore Rubani. Look, we've got some fantastic guests this week. I'll be getting Rob on hopefully again next week, which would be great. Hopefully he's not too busy. And make sure you check out more of the great content. We've got a new branding, Elite Football Show now. So check out our Spotify and our Apple Podcasts as well for the audio versions. So that will be in the description. Have a lovely week and we will see you 